This podcast is sponsored by Echelon. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. With Echelon, you can work at any time, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, just text GENIUS to 818181. Quick disclaimer, message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Sally Sorrell. Uh, she's a pelvic physical therapist that practices both in New Jersey and New York, and we're going to talk about pelvic pain. Uh, she has a doctorate of physical therapy from Rutgers Med and a master's of arts and teaching from University of Vermont. Sally focuses on endometriosis and pelvic pain. So, Sally, thanks for coming. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Why are you interested in pelvic pain and endometriosis? Do you, you know, is there any personal experience or has it just been a, a passion for you? So, I suffered from bloating and stomach aches and cramping and pelvic pain for 23 years. And I never was able to get diagnosis all of those years regarding endometriosis. And when I finally got my diagnosis and had the gold standard in treatment, which is excision surgery, I decided that if I had medical license and was someone specializing in women's health, and this happened to me, that I should take my license and try to make change for others. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. So I'm sorry it took 20 years to get a diagnosis. I've heard with endometriosis that the average diagnosis takes multiple years. Do you know what the stats are? So the stat is that the average length to diagnosis is eight to 10 years. And I believe that a doctor told me on our live webinars last week that um, the statistic is that someone will see at least seven doctors before the word endometriosis is ever brought up. So one of the things that I do now is I own the Endometriosis Summit, which is a patient and practitioner conference. And by meeting all those people with endometriosis, we're able to hear the stories of just what people have gone through trying to get diagnosis. And it's really shocking. Yeah, eight, 10 years, again, is a very long time to suffer with this. I'm sorry to hear that. What... um has the study of endometriosis and pelvic pain advanced much since you've been in it? Or what's the state of the knowledge of it? Sadly, I don't think the study of endometriosis has advanced much really in probably the past 60 or 70 years. I think that for the most part, um, those who do research in endometriosis are very focused on things that we know as patients are not active knowledge. And so the, where the changes that I've seen in the years I've been working in endometriosis 
have come from now the patients are aware that what their doctor may know is really outdated and a reflection of research that may or may not be bias driven. And so it's almost been this whole revolution of patients learning to use their own voice. That's the majority of change that I've seen. Well, does anyone yet know how endometriosis starts and what it is? Is it, uh, I mean, it's not really cancer. I guess it's a neoplasm that, that grows, but you know, what's, what's known about endometriosis? Well, here's the thing. We don't know what causes endometriosis, but unfortunately for the past a hundred years, we've been pushing this theory, not we, cause I don't push it, but this theory called retrograde menstruation or Samson theory is pushed that endometriosis is blood that somehow can't escape the body. And what people don't understand is that Samson founded this theory based on cadavers and not really based on histology and pathology and all the ologies. And he founded this based on cadavers and he made an assumption that this must be period blood that can't escape the body, except that this is so wrong in so many ways because you can have a hysterectomy and still have endometriosis. So therefore, where is the blood coming from? You can be born without a uterus and still have endometriosis. You can also be on drugs that stop you from menstruating and it does nothing for your endometriosis. So this assumption of where the cause has been for all these years is really damaging people because doctors are pushing hysterectomies that may not need to happen or they're putting people on drugs that have huge side effects and they're never disclosing that we don't really know the cause of endometriosis. We think now that endometriosis may be caused by tissue that's laid down in utero. So while you're developing and then um, it becomes hormonally reactive as you age. But we're still pushing the outdated Samson theory. So what happens in endometriosis? Like, what does it look like if anyone has caught it early on versus later stages? What, what happens? Well, this is a very important thing to ask a pelvic physical therapist. If you catch endometriosis, suppose you didn't go eight to 10 years of going to a doctor and the first doctor listened to you. Well, then first of all, you're, it's not ingrained in you psychologically that you're not worthy of care or that you're making it up or that bloating is normal or that cramps are normal. You're maybe not missing school, sports participation, your fertility is preserved. But most of all, if endometriosis is caught early, it doesn't it sort of stops all of the other things that come with endometriosis. So then you're not someone who has endometriosis and pelvic floor dysfunction and central sensitization and a bladder condition. And of course, you've tried 9 million diets to fix your gut. You're just someone who had endometriosis and was believed and had it taken care of versus that if you don't take care of the disease early on, you get 9 million other comorbidities that really contribute to your quality of life. So then when you're finally diagnosed, you still have to deal with all those other things that happened because you weren't diagnosed in the first place. And that also includes recovering from trauma, 
Um, it may include dealing with your own fertility. It may include also dealing with your own relationship. So to diagnose early could make big changes for someone. Has anyone found uh, an intervention that will, would help to uh, cure it? Well, we never talk about treatment of endometriosis as a cure. And I think a lot of that comes from if we don't know what causes it, we can't fully cure the disease. So the best intervention that we have currently is something called excision surgery. And excision surgery is where they go in and they excise the disease at its root. So they, it, there's another kind of surgery, which is cautery, ablation, burning, where they burn off the top of the disease and they actually leave the root of the disease behind. So it just continues to deepen and proliferate. So with excision, they really remove all of the disease that they can from the body. And it's sort of our best defense. And then you combine that with a very skilled pelvic physical therapist and maybe a little bit of nutritional intervention to optimize your gut. And you can, that I believe that's your best shot at living a higher quality of life. But what if there is no surgery? Have you um, seen patients or women that, that are suffering from it that have been able to use diet to help themselves or you know other modalities, other medications? There are medications that it's called medical management. And the, a lot of people love to push medical management again, because medical management is based on that outdated Samson theory. So, um, it's, those medications are geared to stop your period. And if you stop the period, then therefore you stop the disease. The only thing is we already established in the beginning of the podcast that Samson theory isn't accurate. So a lot of those medications don't do anything but symptomatic relief and the disease still deepens as um, the person is on them. And a lot of those medications are very, have very bad side effects, including bone loss. So um, yes, I have seen people use medical management, feel better. And so it's, oh, it should be up to the patient. Like when the patient goes to the doctor, the doctor should say, here are your 10 options with no bias. They should be like, you could try this or you could try that. And not with a nasty tone. They should, you know, list all the options. Here's the option that'll manage you symptomatically. Here's the option that might remove the disease and let the patient um, have the choice. Now, a word about using diets and exercise and pelvic physical therapy. All of those things may drastically reduce the impact of symptoms in your life. I've seen tons of people feel a lot better on a diet or seeing a pelvic physical therapist. And it's really very empowering to manage your quality of life that way. However, I've seen even more people be gaslit by doctors who tell them, did you try gluten-free when really they have a nine centimeter endometrioma inside of their body that being gluten-free is never going to help with. And so I think when we have the conversation about diet and symptoms, it again should be in that informed consent continuum where we are able to say, this may help you, but it doesn't manage the disease, but it's your choice for how you would like to manage it rather than brushing the person off, 
don't eat dairy this week and sort of it in and sort of minimizing their experience in life because what happens is if you're told that while you're developing as a human being if when you're 14 or 15 and you go to the doctor for the first time and the answer is oh bloating's fixed if you take some flaxseed and a probiotic and you know it's sort of very minimizing that by the time somebody is 25 26 or 30 or 35 or 40 they have now internalized that it's somewhat normal to bloat that no doctor is going to listen to them and that this is the life they have and no one should underachieve or or accept less in life because of what's going on with their body and in particular if they become somebody who wants a child and somebody's minimized them for years and years and years their fertility may be very compromised but the other thing is their quality of life may be very compromised so that um, they're in a lot of pain. And the thought of having to take care of a child when you're in that much pain is really quite overwhelming. I've been working too hard and not working out enough. I wanted to get in shape, but I don't have time to get to the gym. Echelon brings the gym home to me. So right now for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S, to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, text GENIUS to 818181 and message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. So you mentioned um, a pelvic therapist and I guess that year one, what, what do they do and how do they help? So pelvic physical therapy is a niche within physical therapy. We are almost all doctorate level physical therapists at this time. And we've had training, pelvic physical therapists have had extensive training beyond doctorate level education. And we like to work, I always say, in all things between the belly button and the knee. So, you know, we we do all your regular physical therapy things, but we are also trained to work with the pelvic floor, the pelvic nerves, and we're trained to work with the viscera. There's all sorts of techniques from visceral manipulation to myofascial work and we're trained to do like exercise and rebalancing you. And I think even though endometriosis is a disease of the body, because it's not only just in your pelvis, it definitely affects the grouping of muscles called the pelvic floor muscle group. And people don't realize how much pain can be generated from that. And so just treating the pelvic floor could make it easier for somebody say, to have sex that isn't painful, to be able to go to the bathroom without um, having urgency or frequency, to be able to sleep through the night because the pain and the pressure is is gone. And it's tremendously good at, at hip and back pain. And it can make a huge difference in the quality of something, someone's life. And while it doesn't remove the disease itself, it can, it's an adjunct to care that many need. Makes sense. How does it help though? Like what, what are, I don't know, what are one or more of the techniques that are used in this therapy? You know, what does it, what does it do? So the pelvic floor is a sling like muscle group that sort of supports the whole body as if it were a hammock to your organs and to your spine and to your back. And if there are areas within that muscle group and that's it's really divided into four major muscles but there's more if there's an area of tightness or tautness within those muscles it's really going to refer pain to many places in your body so 
when you have endometriosis, the disease itself sends a signal to your brain to protect you, right? If you were to touch a hot stove, your brain automatically tells you to pull your hand away. So we hope. And so what happens is that the body is working so hard to protect you from the pain and the inflammation of the disease. It's spasming the pelvic floor to be protective. But in time, those spasms get so extensive that they're not being protective, but they're really being a driver of pain. So we work with someone to lengthen the pelvic floor. So not Kegels. Kegels are just squeezing, 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 and shortening the pelvic floor. Um, We do all sorts of stretches um, and plenty of external work and internal work to try to get the length back to the pelvic floor. But I did a tremendous amount of work on alignment um, in the hips, in the sacrum, and even in the feet, what goes on in your feet is really um, affects your pelvis a lot. We did a lot of um, core work because you have to be able, if your core is strengthened the right way, it helps to stop those spasms in the pelvic floor. And then I specialized in a technique called visceral manipulation which was a way of working with the fascia around the organs to sort of balance them and stop having them send a visceral somatic and a somatic visceral reflex that generates pain. And so in the person with endometriosis, that can be really important because not only does surgery make adhesions, especially surgery done wrong, but the disease itself makes adhesions. And so This hands-on technique helps you be able to balance what's going on in the abdomen and the pelvis. What do uh, people notice that do this therapy? Like, you know, what are the apparent benefits and what are the unexpected benefits? I think the unexpected benefits definitely are that it's extremely effective at normalizing your bowel movements. And it's, it's, a, it's a side effect of the, just the way that the pressures of the disease work. But what people mostly feel is that the therapist has their hand on my belly or maybe on my ribs. They don't tend to feel, you know, that it's not a very aggressive technique if it's done right. If it's done wrong, and I've had practitioners do that on me, um, if it's done wrong, it can be very painful Um, It can cause hernias, it can do a lot of things that are unpleasant, but if it's done right, it's tremendously relaxing. So for people that have their system that's keyed up a little bit from always being in pain, that relaxation can be very important for their, just their overall health. It helps you sleep at night as a side effect. And it just feels like somebody's gently touching your stomach, except that we're touching your stomach or your lungs or wherever in in very calculated ways. And of course, I just want to point out when you see a pelvic physical therapist, because I get this question all the time, we don't do anything without consent. And we don't do anything because it's what we want to do. Like, if you come to me and you say, I'm not comfortable with such and such, then that's not something I would do. If you're not ready for internal work, because people with endometriosis tend to have very um, long and involved traumas, because 
Um, they've had the disease for so long and nobody has really heard them. And that you're not going to shake someone's hand and then they're going to say, okay, now we're going to do internal work. We're going to work up to that. We're going to do what's comfortable for the patient. And we're going to be and hold a space that makes someone feel safe. You don't, if you're not feeling safe or not feeling heard or not feeling listened to, that's not the physical therapist for you. And I just want to add during the pandemic and even now, I do a lot of work virtually. And obviously, virtually, you're not able to touch the patient. And I was surprised now that I've been doing it for so long and I see results. I have seen excellent results by teaching people how to empower themselves over pelvic pain, whether we're doing exercises, whether we're doing strengthening, whether we're working on alignment or balance. It's really incredible the difference that the virtual care has made in people's lives because it's teaching them to do something for themselves rather than for somebody to do something for them. Well, that's good. So even over Zoom, when you've had to, people can work on themselves with your guidance and they can help themselves? Yeah. I mean, the other piece of it is that it helps sort of keep somebody on their, on track for how they're going to piece through their own care. One of the phenomenons with endometriosis, which actually helps that we deal with a lot at the endometriosis summit is that the typical doctor that you see, maybe your primary or even your local GYN they don't know a lot about pelvic pain. They haven't seen a lot of pelvic pain patients. They don't know the ins and outs and the top level things to do with endometriosis. And so typically the pelvic physical therapist is able to really work with that patient and keep them on track for um, how to follow through with their own care. And I, I see that a lot in the virtual sessions also, because a lot of people are so desperate for care that that they sort of need I always say a sleuth because I act a little like that in my, my job. They need a pelvic sleuth and then someone to support them through their plan of care that they have for themselves because they spend so much time seeking out their own care that they need someone to help them pull it all together. And I think the pelvic physical therapist is a, we're trained to do it and um, we are very good at supporting and holding space for the patient. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, in addition to this pelvic therapy, are there any other things out there that you've seen that aren't invasive, that don't have massive side effects that would be helpful as well? Yeah, I think that if you do some, so the name of the game is to optimize your quality of life, but to maybe uh, accept that uh, it might not be doing symptoms. So there are herbs that help and supplements that help. I don't, while I'm on my own personal program, I don't tend to get so involved with that. There's a very good book called Outsmarting Endometriosis. I did not write it. I do not get any proceeds, but it talks about how to optimize your your gut and how to optimize your body um, while accepting that, that you may change your symptoms without changing the disease. The other thing that I think is tremendously important And it's something most people don't understand because they just go to the doctor and they get better is that with endometriosis, the average med student gets 20 minutes at most of endometriosis education that's based on theories that are a hundred years outdated. 
And so that by the time you have symptoms and you go to the doctor, you may not be getting updated education. And in order to survive and thrive with endometriosis, you have to be your own advocate. You have to find your own voice. And in order to do that, you have to have uh, a very good source of education. And that was why we founded the Endometriosis Summit. We always host patients and physicians at our conference on even footing because we have to have the people with the disease empowered with the education they need to advocate for themselves. Very good. It makes sense. So what, what's the best way for listeners uh, that are having problems or know someone that's having problems? How do they get in touch with you or how do they avail themselves of a pelvic therapist or these resources? What do you recommend? Well, I certainly recommend that everybody should come out to the Endometriosis Summit. It's being held February 18th through the 20th, 2022. And the best part is we are both virtual and we're online. So you can get it from anywhere in the world. Uh, I mean, we're, and we're in person. So in person, we're in Orlando, but virtual, we're anywhere in the world. And also that particular website has a lot of good resources that are uh, not related to our conference. So we have an excellent YouTube channel called Endometriosis Summit, and it has fantastic videos that um, are a great place to start. I also think um, the ERC or Endo What has a film that's very good, and those can be a great place to start. In terms of finding me, you can always find me at my website, theendometriosissummit.com or sallysorrell.com. And also uh, very active on social media. You can find me like probably everywhere, but we run a nice Instagram at Endometriosis Summit. And I really try to answer all of the DMs and everything that I get myself. I don't let a social media manager get it. Because it's always been my goal in life that if the person, if somebody needs help, that I want to be the person that they find so that um, they then can become the person that somebody else finds. So a little bit of that each one teach one. So we try to do everything we can for our listeners. Yeah, that's excellent. And thank you, Sally, for what you do. I'm sure there's countless numbers of women that need this help. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, which has been sponsored by Echelon. When you're trying to reach your fitness goals, it can really help to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes with music from your favorite artists like Pitbull. And you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon gives you that. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. And right now for a limited time, Podcast listeners can get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get $800 off MSRP. Once again, text GENIUS to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. Please see terms for details. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.